0: This week's episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by avgearguy.com. If you have any photos or documents that you need to scan or videotapes or audio tapes or film rules that you need to import into your computer, check out avgearguy.com. If you mention the name of this podcast, when you order, you'll get 5% off and a portion of your order will go to help support the rant room. All these formats degrade over time and are sitting ducks in the case of fire or theft. Why not convert it all to digital? All of your memories could be stored safely on the cloud or on a hard drive that fits in your pocket. AVgearguy.com has over 30 years of experience with all kinds of media, digital and analog, and they can accept orders from anywhere in the United States. Don't forget to mention the Screenwriters Rant Room and get 5% off your order. For more details, visit their website at avgearguy.com.
1: What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, and we keep it what? 2020. Yeah. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft. And shit like that. Today, we're about to give you guys a new one. It's a bonus episode, a part tour, or two-parter, as you might want to call it. Um, so I recorded um, a really cool event um, for screenwriters and TV writers on Sunday with the one and only um, series creator, showrunner, Mark <clears throat> Um We had an awesome, awesome time with about 16 Um, writers of all different ages and sizes and colors and uh, we dropped a bunch of game freaking three hours worth of game for them Um, so I'm gonna drop this for you guys in two episodes Um, so I hope you guys will enjoy Um, just another special shout out to Miles Warden for coming through and helping us out with the pod I mean with the um, with the event and um, organizing everything on zoom and working out the sound and like all that stuff and the, the flyer he put together for us to help us promote it. It was awesome. So anyway, I hope you guys will enjoy this and um, keep on listening to the show. Keep spreading the word and um, wishing you guys all the best and love during this whole Rona time. All right. Peace y'all. Enjoy the show.
2: I'm Welcome to
1: the Rainbow And just a heads up, uh, everybody, as y'all know, Hillier does have a podcast and he would like to use some of this for portions of a bonus uh, episode, possibly. So just so everyone knows. Just the audio, not the visual, so you don't have to go put on your makeup and your hair and nothing like that. They should have anyway, <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> Some of y'all looking rough. In Hang on, I got to admit, <laughs> I'm admitting Shara. There
3: we go. There we go. <laughs>
1: Joining us, y'all know I'm crazy. <laughs> um,
3: also, by the way, y'all uh, in the upper left uh, is Miles, and uh, Miles has helped Hilliard and I put this together. Yes, uh, Miles is a very talented writer, and I met Miles about how long has it been? Like five years?
1: Five, six, six years, yeah, about
3: six years. Uh, you know, I, I I did a show called Girl Meets World for three seasons.
1: Never heard of it. What is that about? <laughs> <What's> that
3: <laughs> we did it in front of a live audience, and there was this group of three or four people that were there every single taping to the point where we're going, hey security, come here. Listen, you got to watch these guys. They're like. You know, it's starting to weird the cast out. It's weird. And they're like, (laughs) And he just week in, week out. He was always there. And uh, he's a really, really dope individual. And we became friends. And uh, then, you know, uh, as the years went on, he felt comfortable sharing scripts with me. And uh, always brings me his work and uh is always receptive to the notes whether he agrees or not that's part of the process and we'll talk mm-hmm. about it too nobody in their right mind and hilliard you, you can agree mm-hmm. with this too nobody in their right mind could hand you notes and really believe they're the gospel because yep. it's just not it's not a fact it's just a person's opinion mm-hmm. um but anyway, before we, we really jump in, so that's mm-hmm. Miles, and I want to thank him. Um, I'll give a quick little background on me, and then I'll throw it to Hill. And then we want to hear all about y'all, because this is really about you guys. Um, I've been writing for about 30 years. See?
4: <laughs> and
3: um, I'm really actually proud to be a 59-year-old um, uh, writer who is still blessed to be able, I'm, I'm still telling my stories yeah. and uh, I feel very lucky and uh, it's part of the reason why I take so much uh, uh, pride in the responsibility and Hilliard and I have talked about this on his podcast of being available to young writers like yourselves shame on me if I wasn't because I really really um, and blessed. So I started in half-hour TV, a uh, show called Good Advice. Uh, there was a story there, a showrunner, I'll tell it real quick, a showrunner called me in. He's like, I love your script. I have two pilots. Go watch them. You can pick either one, and I will staff you on that show. I'm like, fantastic. So I go watch the two pilots. I choose a show called Good Advice. Shelley Long coming off of Cheers. Treat Williams, great actor, some real funny people in it, this guy Lightfield Lewis, Juliette Lewis's brother. I'm like, this thing's going to run for 10 years. The other show, I'm like, whiny Jewish guy, a blonde shiksa, (laughs) nobody's going to watch that. So, yes, I said no to Matt about you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, From there, you know, I did uh, Boy Meets World, which ran – for over 140 episodes. I ran a show with the Olsen twins called So Little Time. Uh, I did a show with Tom Selleck called uh, The Closer. Uh, Then we were one of the first to do a reboot, and so I did Girl Meets World, uh, which incidentally turned out, uh, it didn't have the audience that Boy Meets World had. I mean, (laughs) Friday nights back then, we'd get 22 million people watching us on a Friday night. It was insane. Uh, Girl Meets World we did on Disney, but critically, we had a lot more success. We were nominated for three Emmys. Uh, An episode I did, which was a very personal story I talk about later, uh, was nominated for a WGA Award. So we had a lot of uh, success with Girl Meets World. Then I just did a show for Apple TV called Ghostwriter. So that's kind of my thing. I've done a few movies as well, but primarily TV, primarily family TV. Hilliard, why don't you share with the folks a little about you?
1: <laughs> What's up, y'all? Um, I'm Hilliard. Um, I I was born in Detroit, raised in hood outside of San Francisco. Um, grew up in uh, the number three worst place to live in America, which um, some of us probably can relate to. Um, <clears throat> somehow I made my way out of it. Um, one of those cats, I grew up in the, the 80s, one of those original like Afro punk kids into the punk rock mod scene and somehow being that kid kind of, um, put me in a position to kind of be the kid who was like the black, um, Pee Wee Herman in my whole neighborhood. Literally, I rode around on scooters and listened to the specials and shit and, (laughs) you know, still to this day. And, um, so somehow it just made me like who I am, like just an original kind of a cool cat who's into weird shit, you know? And, um, And I found that I'm an underdog. So because of that, I like underdog stories. You know, also I'm the black gay dude in the neighborhood. You know, I was that dude. So I had to be like one tough motherfucker to be in a neighborhood like that, to be walking around looking like a punk rocker. And I was gay and I could fight. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it was a lot of um, shit that I was going through at the time. I was also an actor from the time I was 12 12 years old to the time I was 30. And, uh, like, I'll be 50 in September. Brother, just pretty. Don't tell nobody that. Um, <laughs> y'all know we don't crack. Um, you can't say you're
3: pretty when you got the greatest behind you because he was pretty.
1: He lied. Right. That's my cousin. No, don't tell nobody. Don't tell nobody. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I was an actor um, for many, many years. I've danced. I've, I've danced for Hammer, you know, um, done probably over like 15 music videos toured the world you know done all that shit and um when i moved to la to be an actor in 96 this is just kind of a longer way i'll get around it and i came here to be an actor and um i was working on a film with a really big producer and he kind of took me under his wing because um, he thought i had something special he was like you're you're fearless you know you're one of those cats who i could tell you'd be a great producer <clears throat> so he would take me to different projects he was working on and kind of taught me kind of like the karate kid. He would put me in these situations where I was like, why am I doing this weird thing? And I come out of it and go, Oh, that was why, you know? So for example, he taught me a lot about logistics, right? So to this day, if you invite me to your house, to your office or anywhere, I can't walk in a room without going, how would we shoot this room? I can't. It's because of the things he taught me, you know? And so fast forward a few years later, after I wrote my first script, went to Sundance and opened up some doors for me. Um, <clears throat> the, 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 um, 2008, we had the writer's strike and of course the whole world crashed and I was out picketing and I was just thinking like I need to change my life, I need to do something. And I was like, I'm tired of waiting for Hollywood. I need to be, I need to be my own boss. So I started my own company. Um, I made this, this film six months later, it was critically acclaimed. And I was like, okay, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. So at the time, um, I was kind of teaching, um, a few things for the organization of black screenwriters. And I'm one of those people. I'm sure a lot of you guys out there listening could relate to this. Some people are self-taught, self-taught. Some people went to school, you know, I didn't graduate from high school. I never went to college or anything and somehow through the fact that I was just so ambitious and so hungry, my, my life became what it did. And so <clears throat> the strike happened, I made my first movie, and I started teaching people, here's how I made this movie, right? Here's the mistakes I made. Here's how I got a star in my movie. You know, here's how I got a subway train. Here's how I got these logistics. And that started my trajectory towards, since 2009, I've produced over 28 projects. And I started them, and I'm sorry to take so much time, Mark, just I'll, I'll get to this in a moment. All good. Um, but I started them to do my own projects. And because I was up there teaching people things that they weren't used to seeing, everybody started going, dude, can you produce my project? You know, And so I came up with the rule, well, I'll produce it if I like it. So if I like a script and you're willing to hear my notes and we can advance it, I'll take it from script to screen all the way. Right. And since then, I've done everything, you know, movies, TV, po- proof of concepts, documentaries, you know, everything. <clears throat> and so fast forward, it was time for me to get into real TV. I remember having a conversation with Lena Waith, and she's my co-chair on the on the on the black committee. Uh, this is years ago. And she's like, when are you going to get in the TV? And I was like, bitch, when are you going to hire me? Right? That's how we talk to each other. I don't know. Take it personally. <laughs> and, and I was like, I need to change my life. I need to do something different. Now, I'm already doing great. I'm, I'm sitting here in my office now on one of the studio lots. And you know, it's because I'm, I'm a really busy assignment writer. And you can make a living, as Mark knows, <clears throat> being an assignment writer. But you can also be an assignment writer and never get a movie made. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, Mark? And so True. Yep. E- eventually you want to get things produced, right? So I was like, 2018, I need to change my life. I need to do something different. And I realized that like whenever, like if I'm talking to Mark <clears throat> or any of my friends who are big showrunners or anybody, they might be in the middle of casting and I never asked them to cast me or to, to staff me, you know? And um, I was like, I need to ch- change that. I need to tell people what I'm worth. So I had my friends on the show who created um, um, Deadly Class, and it just happened to be the perfect show for me. So I pitched them on why they should hire me. You know, the show takes place in the 80s in San Francisco. I'm from there in the punk rock scene. And I was like, who else is going to know that better than me? You know, nobody, nobody. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I sold them on that, and that's how I got on that show. You know what I mean? And, and so I started down here so that I could get up there, you know, with a faster trajectory because I know so much and I've already produced so much in a room they would see I'd be worth a lot of money. You know what I mean? So I was willing to take a staff job just to prove that I could do other things, you know? And so that was our, 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 our thing that we worked out. If we get another, another season, they're going to bump me up to whatever, you know what I mean? So we didn't get a season two, but now I'm at a point where I'm developing shows for, you know, like I'm doing one for, for Ridley Scott's company and Reggie Hudlin and, you know, um, doing a movie for uh, Morgan Freeman right now. So it's, you just never know. and I didn't mean to take up so much time, Mark. Go
3: oh Go gosh, are you kidding? That's yeah. awesome. So then Hilliard and I actually met. Uh, we were both on a panel of, uh, there was a Hollywood entertainment night and there were showrunners there and What's that? Get it made? Is that what it was? I don't know. I Herman Bar.
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. I forget what it was called. Yeah. But we were on a panel of a bunch, <clears night, throat> and me and my brother were carrying the night. Let's just say <laughs> it was all us, and we just we were looking at each other the whole time, going, yeah. "I was
1: like, I got to know night. this dude. This dude is that." Like, right. I mean, right. Yeah, just,
3: so we, you know, absolutely, we exchanged, you know, Twitter handles, this that, and I guessed it on his podcast, which was a blast. Uh, had a great time doing that, spent two hours. And then, you know, we just thought that during all this, I'm, you know, my screen time, like everybody else, is just through the roof. I'm stalking people. I'm <laughs> old relationships. I'm stalking, you know, girls I dated before I got married. I know what my ex-wife, where she's hanging out. I'm just online all the time. And I'm just kidding, sort of. And I am online a lot, but I was so impressed with our community. And one of the things that I've talked about a lot in different meetings at the guild or whatever is we probably, at least since I've been in the guild, and certainly I've been in the guild since 1991, and there was never a real sense of an artist's community. And we are artists. Uh but it seemed everything was more, you know, kept close to the vest who you knew was who you knew and you didn't really share it. And if you were privileged to know somebody at a studio, whatever, you'd maybe get a meeting. That's how I started. I had a friend who was an assistant at Sony TriStar who got my material in front of the showrunner. But it was a friend that you know, I was so so fortunate. And then you know all this went on we all had to fire our agents this past april and then all of a sudden we were exposed to living the life or close to it not quite the same but like a lot of pre-wga people a lot of people like yourselves who were relying on on networking and social media to meet people to get in front of people which is why Hilliard and I have no problem, you know, doing something as simple as this, you know, meeting y'all and, you know, I can't wait to hear your stories and have you ask questions. But the point is that I kept saying, there's so many writer producers out there, but where's the sense of community? Where's the sense of camaraderie? Where's that San Francisco vibe in the 60s and 70s of artists hanging out and getting high and sharing their work, whatever. (laughs) I'm talking metaphorically, of course, but we need to all (laughs) be there for each other. (laughs) We need to lean on each other. We need to share information. And I'm so blown away by the amount of young and hungry artists that are looking up for help, direction, feedback, encouragement, a pat on the back. And, um, and, and, and the great thing is this Internet and Twitter and all that has given you guys an availability that in my day it was a friend or bust, but there is so much access now. There is so much information out there that it's still tough as heck. I'm not saying it's not. It is a little easier in a way in that, again, like, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not Chuck Laurie, I'm, I'm not Aaron Sorkin, I'm not like, you know, sitting on the Mount Rushmore of creators, but I had a lot of success. But when I was young, and starting out like you guys, I could never get an audience, you know, get time in a room. So I think it's also an exciting time for y'all. And, and I'm also to reinvent community, and you guys are doing it so well because I see it. There's all these writers having chats. You know, you'll be on Twitter. Okay, got to go. I'm doing a chat at 7 with a group, and, and you know, you have the, um, you know, uh, the, the WGA staffing boost, all these things. So it's really an exciting time, and you guys – absolutely have stories to tell and you're going to you're going to get those opportunities um you know we we can never say when because i that's the one thing we don't control is the clock but you know it's an exciting world uh as fucked up as it is now with, with this virus um here we are so i think at this point uh miles why don't we turn it over to all these wonderful people I think probably the best thing to do instead of going around and everybody says their name we could read names we'll do each person's introduction with a quick background but then also a question so that way we're kind of
4: you know generating conversation at the same time
5: that's a good idea I like that so Michael you want to start
1: yeah, sure, I could go. Uh, comedy writer, L.A.-based. Um, Mark and I have gotten to know each other over the past week or so. Uh, I want to talk about representation, because that's, like, a goal of mine for this year before all that, all this stuff happened, was how to get representation, and, you know, how does that, how
4: does that work? What, what do you recommend for that?
1: Okay. I could talk about this all day. I'll let you go ahead, Mark.
4: No, go ahead. I'm trying to
1: get something right. off of my screen. <laughs> okay. um, well, we're in an unusual time, as we all know. <clears throat> um, but we are still in a time where, actually, we're in, we're in an unusual time, but we're also in probably the best time for people to read you. I think since in the last month, I think I've read 35 scripts, you know, mm-hmm. in the last month. And I don't have any time to read a script, but it's a necessity, as Mark was saying, for us to take the time to do these things. Right. So knowing that we're in a time for that, you actually can reach out to managers on Twitter, LinkedIn, all that shit, and ask them to read you now because people have time. The problem before is nobody has time. You know what I mean? And because they have time now, they will at least take a moment to read you. And something that me and um, my co-hosts talk about a lot on our show is if you send something to me and go, hey, Hilliard, um, I have this awesome script. It's about whatever. Just give me the first 10 pages. More than likely, I'm going to read it. Mm -hmm. But if you want me to read the whole thing, you're going to wait for a little while. But if you can get me at 10, I might continue. Correct, Mark?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um You want to, when you do get the opportunity to put your best foot forward, whether it's in front of somebody like me or Hilliard or uh, a manager or an agent, Mm -hmm. no WIP, okay? It is not a work (laughs) in progress. I actually, somebody sent me a script about a month ago, and I normally wouldn't have done it. Uh, the way it went down, but it was a, a friend of a friend, so I was doing that friend a favor. The other thing about me is, for whatever reason, I just, and, and Michael will tell you, if I get something, uh, I'll, I'll find, unless I'm in production, but if I'm not in production, to read a half hour, different than a movie with you, Hilliard, but for me to read a half hour takes 15 minutes. And yes, first 10 pages matter. But anyway, this dude sends me a script, and it was literally among the worst things I ever read. It wasn't yours, Michael. Don't worry. Uh, oh,
1: oh good. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I, isn't that the Michael Guterres T- T- you were telling me about? <laughs> no, different one.
3: Um, it uh, was not formatted. Uh, it was not funny. It was not conceptual. It was nothing. I can't. And I still <laughs> had to follow through I with can't. the phone call because I'm just nice. Yeah. And I, I said to the guy, I said, listen, as I told you when you sent it, if you send me a script, I'm going to tell you what I think. Yep. If you're looking for attaboys, send it to your parents, yep. okay? But if you're sending it to a professional, they're going to tell you what. So I said, I said well, there's this, and it's not Formatted and there's no story and I don't know what I'm reading and I still don't know what the show's about, da-da-da. He goes, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. He says, you know, I just kind of wanted your opinion as I'm, you know, reshaping this and redrafting it. And I go, dude, like, seriously, like, no, I'm never going to read anything you sent me again with all due respect. You can't do that. Now, I know none of you guys are going to do that, but by the same token, when you're being read, make, <laughs> sure, it, <laughs> make sure it's something that you really feel represents
4: you. And,
1: well, and Go ahead. Can, can, I just want to interject this. I talk about this on my show a lot. Um, the thing that's going to get you over everybody else, and it did the same thing for me. Um, I know, Mark, you have this really cool project you want to do um that I love we still got to do that at some point um that is a passion project right and the what i've learned is this this it, i've interviewed over 300 something people on my show and at the writers guild for their podcast you know all kind of stuff every single person i know who's made it or reinvented themselves wrote a script that everybody told them not to make every single one including myself Right. The thing that got me to the next thing was something everybody's like, Why are you writing that thing? And it's like, because I have to. Right. And that's the thing you put your heart and soul into. That's the thing that has your voice in it when you read it. You can tell it. You could see it a mile away. You know, that's the thing that makes you stand out. Where people make a misunderstanding about is they go, Well, everybody tells me to write that thing about, you know, what I know. Well, what I know is I grew up this way, right? I grew up in a, oh, I'm an actor and I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to direct a movie. So I'm going to write a movie about that. I'm like, no, that's, you're not going to the heart. The heart is that story about yourself when you were a kid and your mother was an alcoholic, for example. You know what I mean? And you lived in this world where you experienced these things. That's the heart. You know what I mean? And so I always say this that and you know this mark being in many rooms um the the best writer in the rooms to me are the ones who are the most open right so if you're somebody who's worried about people knowing about the fact that um and I'm just throwing things out there the fact that you might have been molested as a child the fact that you might have been you know, your parents are an alcoholic or whatever the bad thing is that you don't want anybody to know, the writer's room is probably not for you. Because at some point, that storyline might come up. And if you're an open writer, you're not afraid to tell the story. Yeah.
3: To, to, you know to that I mean? point, you know, I, I always like to say, and, and, you know, I write comedy, but I remind all the writers at the beginning of a year you know, and especially those of you who know Boy Meets World and Girl Meets, there's a lot of emotional stuff. Right. Any of us can make an audience laugh. But if you can make an audience feel, that they will come back. They may not know why they're coming back, but they will come back.
4: Right.
3: Make that audience feel. Now, the same thing, make the reader. For you guys trying to get repped, make that writer feel like Hilliard says, tell that on a story. You know um, if you're send out, if you send out a sample to an agent or a manager and they start reading it and go, Oh, you know, this is, this is cool. You have four people hanging out at a diner and talking <laughs> and no, just tell that personal story, you know, write the thing you're afraid to write. Yes. My whole point. No, exactly. Just yes. that thing that is inside you that you're like, when I'm famous, I'm going to tell that story. Let that story get you started. Let that story get you your rap. That story may never get filmed. Who knows? Or Maybe it will. But let that be your calling card. So when the dude reads it, And when I say dude, I I mean, it's not gender specific. I call everybody dude. So when that dude reads it, dude's going, ooh, I just got the chills. Mm
6: -hmm. Damn,
3: I want to meet Miles. I want to meet Devon or Maddie or Kiki. I want to hear more. You know? (laughs) They made me feel. Yes. You know? How many people, show of hands, have written a scene where you started crying while you were writing it? okay that's then that's the thing that should be out exactly. to people. That's, that's the exactly. one that should be out
1: exactly if they're that's- not
3: going to call you or email <clears throat> you back and go I was going to meet you but your story is so sad so I don't want to touch that they're not going to do that
4: yeah.
3: they're not going to do that yeah. not if they're good not if they're right for you people saying no to you you don't want them to rep you Mm. You want the person who says yes to you, who gets you, who understands and hears your voice. That's your rep. Did we answer your question at all, Michael? Yeah. Because I I, I was on the screen and stuff, so. (laughs) It was all about you, Mark.
4: (laughs) Uh,
3: Let's randomly go. I'm just spinning my, where did it stop? It stopped on Kim.
4: Hang on. I gotta unmute. Hang on. All right. You're on, Kim. Oh. Hello. Hi, Kim.
6: Hey. I am a comedy drama writer that segue from novels. Um, now doing screenwriting. Um, I guess my question is, um, I have a EP of the last show that I was on, um, reading my script. Um, but at the time, we were not quarantined. And so she said it's going to take three months for her to read it because she offered to read it, but do I, like, follow up with her? And then also, do I, like, can I, like, make
7: adjustments to that script before she gives me the, I guess, her feedback is, I guess, my thing?
3: I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take the first part, which is as far as the adjustments. <laughs> That's up to you. Like, like, you know, so many times – the, you know, people on uh, social will ask these questions about, you know, do I do this? Do I do that? And if it's about the material, the only answer is it's on you. You're, you're, you're driving that ship. It's yours. If you feel you want to make some changes because they're in your head you want to get them out, listen, the great thing is you can save every copy along the way. Do you know what I'm saying? So if there's ideas in your head, get them down. Yeah. It's in just another version.
1: I was going to say this, um, Kim. Kim's worked with me uh, a couple, couple times too. Hey, Kim. How you doing, girl? Hey, um, I miss you. Um, I was going to say this. Think about this. <clears throat> so you send your script to somebody, right? They said they need a month, two, three to read it. So yes. in that time, you've, done with mark said you've adjusted you watched the movie got a new idea you you talk to somebody got a new idea for dialogue whatever it is right i say just like mark go ahead and fix it because remember you you're not only doing it for that one person you're still doing it for the other people right who are going to read it after yeah. them right so yeah. i say don't wait put it in now so that you have the best version ready for the next person who's going to read it right also yeah. I've had this before too, and Mark probably has too, I'm assuming, where you write a script for somebody, you write a script, it takes somebody a month to read it. Well, you keep looking at that script throughout that month. So you keep going back to it and adding little things to it. I'm the type of person, because I'm a writer first, I know that if it took me a month to read somebody's script, they probably have done some work on it. So I'm the type type of guy who is nice enough to go, hey, I'm about to read your script today. Is this the latest version? Everybody isn't going to do that, though.
3: Most people will not do that. <laughs> they won't.
1: They won't. But you, because you have a relationship with this person, can at least say, hey, girl, hope you're having a great time, whatever. Just, I'm assuming you haven't read it yet. Just so you, just in case, I'm sending you the latest version for whenever you have time. And keep it really simple. As, you know, on your time, here's the latest one. You know what I mean? As a writer, they'll understand. It's not a like, oh my God, she's sending me another one. What you don't want to do is go, here's a script and two days later, here's another version. Four days later, here's another version. That's where you get the problem, right? But if it's like three weeks, a month later, you go, you know what? Some times went by, I haven't heard from them. They probably haven't read it yet. I'm going to go ahead and see, you know what I mean? So that's when I think it's okay, personally. Okay. I don't know what you think, Mark. And, and, and so
3: it's been about three months, Kim, since you gave them the script? Kim? Hold on.
4: No. Yes.
3: <laughs> uh,
4: I can't hear you, I think.
3: Yeah, so it's been about three months since you gave them the script? You you can definitely, I think, right, Hillary? He, she can follow up with them now. Just a little yeah. poke, a little nudge. Yeah. Hey, and I, I would happen?
1: definitely send them the latest version. Yeah. But it's it's almost it's it's a two it's a two for one, you're checking to see if they read it, right? Cuz I know you're curious. I think we just lost her. Oh, I'm back. Oh, there you go. So one, you're checking to see back. if they read it. I heard you. So one, you're checking to see if they read it and two, your this is your chance to send them the latest version. So you're getting two things at once. So you're reaching out to them and say, "Hey, checking on you," right? And number two, in case you haven't read it, here's the latest version. Take your time. It's not, it's not a pressure call. You know what I mean? Okay. It's just, a, it's just an update. But it's also your way of making sure that they have the latest thing. Because you and I, we all know you change a the and an and in the script and you feel better about it. Right? So just imagine if you did that for three months. You know what I mean? So I say yes. Okay. Cool. Go ahead, Bart.
3: Kim keeps moving around. It's awesome. I see that. <laughs> it's okay. Um, hang on. Boom. And let's go Jerome. Hang on. I got to unmute you. It's, <clears throat> it's not unmuting. Huh. Hang on.
5: So I think yeah, I'm unmuting. There you go. Uh, okay. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, I'm Jerome. I'm... Uh,
4: Rome I hear Rome. My- you might you might hear my son in
5: the background yelling with his friend on FaceTime, so I apologize for that. Um, I'm a writer mostly of half hours, uh, mostly comedies. Uh, I do some drama too. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get an episode of Nick Jr.'s Shimmer and Shine. I wrote that a few years ago. That was really cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that was a great experience being in the room there. That was a freelance episode. But now I'm trying to get repped and really move into um, like a staff position. Um, and I guess my question is I'm a little older. I got into it a little later. So I'm in my 40s now. So I'm a little concerned about the the ageism, is, if there is such a thing, and in TV especially, and what you guys think about that.
3: Um I'll start since I'm turning sixty. Um you know what? You there's a pretty struggle. Much. Still pretty. Thank you. There's a struggle. <laughs> there's there's an there's several isms in all walks of life. All right, they're just it's a fact. Um, we've had diversity <laughs> issues forever, and when I look at my computer screen. And when I'm on social media and I know the overwhelmingly large um, numbers of writers of color, of uh, gender, different LGBTQ, straight, gay, everything, we're getting to a point where people are – it's – it's not what you want to hear, but organically there's, it's just going to keep happening and happening because you guys are the fucking lifeblood. You guys are the numbers. You guys have the stories. You guys are authentic. I'm, I I wish that, you know, I could say you're all going to be employed next season. I wish I can say that from my heart. It's not the reality, but I know that you guys are out there and you're hungry Mm -hmm. and, and you're talented, and that part, so that, that ism will slowly change. Specifically, the age thing, I've spoken to people at the Guild before. As I said earlier, I've been very blessed that I've, you know, I've just worked five straight years on series television, you know, from 55. My three Emmy nominations have been in my 50s. I'm really fucking lucky. But I've experienced the ageism thing too. I've, um, I have, I've, executives I know. If there's a job that I'm completely right for, and I'll text the exec, email the executive, Mark, we have to hire a young so-and-so, you know, at that. And I'm like, but. This is my wheelhouse. This is my genre. This is my thing. Yeah, but it came from on top and da-da-da-da-da. So it exists. It just does. Now, how do you beat it? Well, you beat it with your material being that fucking good. Okay. You you're in your forties, you're looking to make a name for yourself. Your stuff can't be ordinary not without a buddy who's running the show to help you out. And by the way, to that end, all my jobs in my 50s also did not come from people who didn't know me. They came from people who have hired me before, or who I've worked with, or who I've hired, or whatever. So no stranger, no showrunner who doesn't know Mark Blockman, no matter how fucking good I am, and in the family genre, I'm as good as anybody out there. I'm as good as anybody out there. I watch fucking shit. Did anybody? Well, I, there's no reason you would watch it. There was Kiki's laughing. There's a show on Netflix, the Big Show Show. This big wrestler, and it's 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 a, a kid. You saw Kiki? No, but anyway, the worst thing thought, I've ever seen. I, I
4: can
3: I could like I can give them an entire season in seven days. They I can't even get a meeting on that kind of a show.
4: Yeah. So
3: it does exist. You've got to, you've got to be, you've got to get in different. You've got to come in a different door. You've got your materials got to be amazing. You've got to network more. You've got to go to, you know, an event like when we were all doing all those mixers and shit, when we all fired our agents. Um, I, I hosted one at, uh, Cantor's. Uh, I hosted a bagel luncheon at Cantor's. Um, and, uh, You know, I was just trying to lure in my Jewish brothers. uh, So I figured I'll (laughs) do bagels. I'm kidding. But I did bagels, uh, bagel luncheon. I had people come up to me and, uh, you know, make contact. And I've since read them and and, and helped them. So you've got to do all that because you're trying to get representation, correct, Jerome? So you've, yeah, you've got to write a piece of material that's kick-ass. You've got to be on social media right now. you know, just uh, there's staffing okay. boost, get people to read you, recommend you. You know, you've got to work a little harder than, you know, somebody else. And that's a fact. I mean, I can't sugarcoat it. But get at it, man, and Let- fucking tell your stories and, and make people, you know, you, 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 you've been produced before. Somebody <clears throat> produced your script.
1: Yeah. Let me jump in right quick. Hilliard? Um. I could talk about this topic all day long. <laughs> um, actually, matter of fact, I've had a couple of publishers, Kiki, um, reach out to me about writing a book. And what would I write a book about? And very easily, I said this. If I were to ever write a book, it would be about how to survive in Hollywood over 40. Right? Seriously. <clears throat> and so you are right on the mark, Mike. Um, on the mark, Mark. <laughs> with everything you're talking about, um, for you, Jerome, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a couple things that you have to think about about being um, over 40. Like Mark said, there's. I'm, I'm gonna tell you guys a quick story. So some of you guys know I'm on a bunch of committees at the Writers Guild. I'm the co-chair of the Education Committee with Jeff Melvoin, who's one of the biggest showrunners in town, right? So I came early, this is about a year ago, I came early to the meeting and this is, this is a group that is full of like former showrunners or co-EPs, you know, like a lot of old heads who are education people, right? And I came in early and there were three or four of these um, older white guys who were talking and what they were having a discussion about was... Um, they'd all been on meetings with younger executives and they could not relate to these young kids and these damn millennials and blah, 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 blah. And I was just sitting there. I was just on my phone, ignoring them, just listening. You know, I have what I call 2020 hearing. So I hear everything. So I was listening. So finally, one of them chimes in and say, Hilliard, don't you think so? Right? And I was like, are you talking to me? He was like, yeah. And I said, well, actually, I don't agree he's like, what do you mean? I said, here's the difference between me and you. And, the, and, and the, the, the issue that I have with most people in Hollywood over 50 or 60, this is in general, not you, Mark, because I know you, you woke, but other motherfuckers. <laughs> is this, I said, I'm the type of person who, like when people see me, they think I'm like 30, 35 years old, right? I'll be 50 in September, right? I dress a certain way. I don't allow you know, myself to look ungroomed. You know what I mean? So I, you have to decide what is your, what is your, um, what's the word I wanna use? Um, so when people see you, they already put, oh, that's the guy who does that thing. You know what I mean? What's the word for that? Why can't I think about it? Um, I... <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. So Amy. my vibe is giving you a young hip dude in his 30s who's, when you talk to him, he's clearly much older than you think because he's too wise, right? But when you see me, you go, oh, he's in shape, blah, 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 blah. He drives a cool car. You know, you think these things about me. I did that in purpose to make you think that, right? So if you walk into a room and you just throw on a shirt and your hair is not combed and you have gray hair everywhere, nobody's going to take you seriously as somebody who could deal with somebody in their 20s. But if you reverse that and go, okay, how can I blend in just a little bit more? You know, either it's, I'm woke because I'm so woke, like Mark, he's just woke. Some people just have it, they don't have to do nothing. Wow. We just trust them, right? And some people have to work harder. So here's what I told them. I said, here's the difference between me and you. I wake up in the morning and I turn on the, the, my iTunes and I see what are the top 20 songs for the week. Hip-hop, pop, whatever it is. So when I walk in a meeting and I'm talking to a 27-year-old millennial, I could talk about the latest fucking song. You, on the other hand, still think Steely Dan's the shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's a problem. Because we all come from different generations where we think our generation was the best. Right? Instead of trying to learn what what the kids are doing today so you can have a conversation. You know, and I swear to you, two months later, we had a meeting and they both sat down and were like, you know, I turned on the radio the other day and I started blah blah blah. you know, the shit's not that bad. They started doing that. I said, good. Now you can go in there and have a conversation. I said, and maybe you might want to trim your beard down just a little bit so you look clean and not just like, oh, I just woke up today. You know what I mean? Maybe you can go. Find a cooler style to make you look a little bit more hipper, you know? Whatever it is you need to do to yourself to stand out so you don't look like you're 50-something and frumpy – I'm just generalizing here – you know, and frumpy and trying to be in a writer's room, and everybody else coming in a room is 20s. You, know, you at least it, can blend in.
3: Perception sucks. Perception. It's real. <clears throat> no, but it is, as he said, it's so real. I mean, people – make a judgment especially in this town because most of the people you know making the decisions a lot of them they're so insecure to begin with they don't even know you know half the time i mean you know we just made the joke submit a script so did you read my script yes what do you think well i don't know yet i have to find out what i think from three other people i mean just and so but all part of this ridiculous business that we're in is that whole perception becomes reality thing. Um, you know, I, I dress a certain way, not for anybody else, but for myself, I've just always, you know, hoodies and, you know, friendship bracelets and ripped jeans and, and, you know, it's my own since I've been divorced for 10 years now, my makeover was, (laughs) you know, I don't know, just, I, I, (laughs) I found freedom in the gap. You got
1: that convertible Ferrari. We know. We see yeah, no, no.
3: I've never been a car guy. Just a hoodie guy. I've spent more. I spent just my, almost as much on hoodies as a car. I, I'm a Vince guy. You know Vince at the Grove? There's. Yes. It's, it's all hoodies. I, I wear That's a lot right. of hoodies. Anyway, figure out what you, you know, as he said, as Hilliard
4: said, what your reality needs to be for them. Uh, how many kids do you have, Jerome? One, how old's
5: he? Oh, you're muted. Again. He's nine. yeah, he's nine. He,
3: he's nine. You know? Yeah. I mean I, so the the show that you had produced was for Nick Nick or Nick Jr or something Nick Is that Jr., stuff Yeah right. What's that? Is that the kind of material you you're writing now?
5: No, I'm writing more sitcoms for grown-ups and stuff. I kind of okay. moved away from the the kids' stuff
3: yeah just you know you may again i don't know what scripts you've written so but just try and put some of your truths and frustrations in one of the characters
5: yeah that may
3: be a character that pops and really gets your script over you know just put as much of your own truths in whatever you're writing to which will help you but again back to what we said which is what all this is you may have to network a little harder than somebody else and you may by the way you know Own it, too. If you're in a room, maybe, you know, just you're talking to the guy and or girl, and you're like, hey, you're looking at me. You're going, fuck, I like this guy. I wish he was 10 years younger. Guess what? No, you don't. You got me right now. I'm going to make you more money than that younger person, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Just sometimes you got to own your shit. Just own it, you know, because if you sense they're looking at you and they're maybe not going to sign you because you're in your 40s, which is bullshit. I get so fucking angry. Hilliard knows because I this is my soapbox. How the get fuck it. can you all of a sudden be limited in create creative writing by an age? Like, I don't understand that. Yeah. Like, I get that Mark Bluntman can't play young and sexy on TV anymore. That's why I stopped at 24. I stopped acting. I get it. But don't fucking tell me what I can write. You know, and again, this comes from, you know, executives like when we did Girl Meets World. So it was Michael Jacobs who created Boy and Girl, me and another one of the, the boy writers. Um, and all the network is saying, you got to hire these girls. We need all these young girls because the show's about Corrine Topanga's young girls and hire all blah, blah, blah. So we did. And they thought they were writing all the cool, they'd come to us and go, see? You hired all those, you're, see? No, we're still writing fucking Topanga, okay? <laughs> like, like, you don't all of a sudden age out, and well, Blutman, he's in his 50s now, he can't write Topanga. I, I hate that shit, you know? It, it, it all, it, it's accusing me of ignoring my own kids, it accuses me of, of ignoring the world I live in. We're writers, we soak up the world and spit it back out. Our brain doesn't just soak up our own age.
1: Well, can I add to that, Mark? The other thing I was gonna tell you, Jerome, is like, I mean, I'm writing right now um, three different projects, but they're all historical stuff. So I've already told the executives that if we shell the show, I have to have older writers in my room. And they were like, what? And I was like, the shit takes place in the 60s. I need somebody who was there. You know what I mean? This takes place in the 1800s. I need somebody who's a historical who studied the shit. You know what I mean? So, so those are the things. So there are people out here having these conversations. You know what I mean? That, that those people are still important too. You know? I noticed most of you guys are young, but, but and younger than myself and, 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 and Mark but we're still vampires. Um, and so, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> 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 and, and but, but there are people out there who are in search of, 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 of I don't want to say older writers, but more mature writers too. Because one of the things we need in a room is wisdom. You know, you also need somebody who's wise. You also need somebody who's traveled. You know what I mean? Who can have conversations, who can, who can come up with, You ain't that person. Don't be raising your hand all up. Devon, you ain't nobody. Um, (laughs) And so, but we need that person who's well-traveled, that person who, you know, it might be a, a show about a family and nobody in the room has a family but you. That happens. You know, I was on a show where most of our characters were Asian. There was not one Asian writer in the show. So who had to speak to that but the person who was diverse? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't think we got it right because we were missing something. You know what I mean? It'd be 100% with you, you know?
3: I, I want to tell this, this quick ahead. little story because it, 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 it is an important story and, and Hilliard knows and I think I told it on his podcast. Um, I write from my heart and whatever's on my heart, I write. And uh, years ago, uh, one of my favorite films mm-hmm. was an old gangster film from the 30s called Angels with Dirty Faces. Jimmy Cagney, Pat O'Brien, Humphrey Bogart. But a bunch of thugs growing up in a neighborhood. One went off, grew up, crime, ended up in jail. The other one, the goody-goody ended up staying on the right side and leading his church. And it was just this incredible, wonderful gangster movie. And it was on my heart one day, I finished a season of Boy, I had time. I wanted to write a modern urban version of that movie and I called it um, Angels in the Hood. And I wrote it with like, you know, Chris Rock in mind for one part, Cuba Gooding, and it was all 100% ethnic. I handed in, I was with CAA at the time. And it was one of those things from my heart, just, I bled that movie. I bled the dialogue, I bled it all. It was a gift. And I handed it in to CAA, and my agent calls me, my TV guy calls me and goes, well, he says the motion picture, you know, the, they, they covered it, the film department, and they loved it. And so I then read it, and I, I said, it's great. But we all had the same question.
4: And I go, What's
3: that question? <laughs> Who'd you write it with? I'm like, what? There is no way you, you know, I was in my 40s at the time, this 40-something-year-old Jewish white dude can write, those experiences and those characters and the dialogue and what. And so I was hurt and insulted, but what bothered me more was that in their heads that writers can only, like you can only, like I can only write old white and Jewish. Like, no, we're, we're we have shit. Now, if I sat down to write an episode, maybe of, of Fresh Off the Boat, as an example, I would fucking bail on page one. I wouldn't know what I was doing. I wouldn't feel it. I wouldn't know. But if I was able to turn this script out, then fuck, you know, good on me mm-hmm. and our fucking business. Their first thing is who'd I write it with? By the way, Hilliard, thank you for writing that script with me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>
1: no. But here's the cool thing that I was going to say. What and I know we talked about this even on my podcast. <clears throat> See what's usually missing when somebody attempts to write a script that's not in their wheelhouse or in their background or they're not from that race or that genre or whatever is nuance. It's not that they can't write the world. It's that they miss the nuance. You know what I mean? It's the little things, right? It's those things that when you watch it as an Asian American, you're going, no, we wouldn't have done that thing. Right. You know what I mean? We don't eat that. You know, we don't eat, we eat more authentic this. You know, whatever it's the little things. It's and that's what's usually missing. But somebody like Mark, growing up in New York, seeing this world, it's right there in front of you. You could see that he knows these people. You know, he's been around this. He saw this world. But and the nuance was there.
3: Yeah, you know what I mean. You know, it was uh, before you guys all joined us. I said to Hilliard and to Miles, I was watching the morning show. Anybody watch the morning show on Apple? Um, a few of you, so I was watching it. Like, eh, you know, it's it's not the newsroom, you know. Aaron Sorkin, as I cracked to these guys, probably looked at it and went, "Teletubbies," because it's
8: just <laughs>
3: it's just not the newsroom. But episode seven really was like, uh, a big part of the storyline was the divorce. So those of you who have seen it, as the father, who. You know, went through a divorce, not my parents, but me and my ex, and had kids and had a di- There was nothing real. There was nothing but over-the-top theatrical, just whoever wrote that did not go through divorce. Right. And as Hilliard said, there was no nuance. There was no reality, no nothing. You know, um, so you, we have individual experiences that should always, you know, be part of our writing. Even if you're writing a, a fantasy film, you know, still include pieces of yourself. Uh, Jerome, yeah. I, did we cover it at all? But, but again, for you, don't know it's a reality, beat it. Because it is a reality. And there are starting to be people on Twitter who are writing to it going, I can get a fucking 40-year-old guy that I think could write this show with that kind of world experience at an entry-level staff writer thing, showrunner would be a fool if he thought you can help to not go down that road. Yep. If, if he's writing the show, let's pick, uh, you know, men of a certain age. Remember that show with Ray Romano and uh, uh, gosh, um, uh, I forget. But anyway, a bunch of middle-aged divorce guys. Well, If I can have you as a baby writer instead of a 23 year old kid that, you know, I would do it. So that should be part of that continue continuum of changing the way people think, changing the way people hire.
1: So there will be opportunity. One, One last thing to that is you have to think about how you pitch yourself. Like, I started to tell you guys, I I didn't give you my whole full spiel, but when I talk about where I come from, I tell you about growing up in this neighborhood, being in the gang, growing up in the punk rock scene, and I turn it all into this whole thing about being this black gay underdog kid. And I write underdog stories, right? So you get me. So when you're pitching yourself, think about what's that thing that's special about you and that that shows on the page and everything you write. You know, that's going to be your key you know, so that no matter how you look, it's on the page that that's the guy who does that thing. You know what I mean? And then people will get you, totally, 100%. But you gotta figure out how to, how to sell yourself like that. You know what I mean? As the 40-something comedy writer who does this thing about, you know, um, love. I don't know, I'm just spitball, you know what I mean, whatever it is. You know, so find that for yourself.
3: And, and lastly, again, I'm just reiterating what I said before, your sample has to be so good and make it personal and reflective of who you are, not just a, a, another modern family or another, you know, uh, righteous gemstones or whatever they're reading. Just make it special. Thanks, man. Round and round and round
4: and round round. We got Maddie. Let me unmute you.
5: There you go. Hi, Maddie. Hey, Maddie. Hello. Let's see if that's working. All right. Um, Hi. Uh, I'm a comedy family writer aiming for animation over live action, but open because it's fun. Uh, Mostly half hour. Uh, I guess my biggest question is biggest advice for moving out, (laughs) like moving out to Los Angeles from very far away. (laughs)
4: Where are you right now?
5: I'm in Massachusetts. Um, I did the move once, completely ran out of money and had a massive mental breakdown and moved back home. So <laughs> I was just
3: going to say this. I'm not a genius or anything, but now's not the time to move.
1: No.
3: That's, that's what I got right now. So obviously you got to wait this out, see how the business corrects itself. Also as the business and the world recovers, we may have a writer strike. We just may. That could be- I'm, a trying good, to right?
1: say, I'm trying to say no, but it is a realistic thing. For it's, sure.
3: it's realistic. I'm, I'm hoping this thing yeah. as, you know, may work in our favor into getting a settlement from both parties. We, you know, maybe give a little more, may give a lot more. But to that point, if there is a strike, that's not a bad time for a pre-WGA uh, writer.
4: Um,
3: you know, what I will say to the question about moving, and I share this, um, your support group when you get here is really important. The people you set yourself up with, that form friendships with, they need to be connected to this business in one way or the other. All right. When I was first came out here in my 20s, I was with a group of people. One was a well-known comic who was ahead of the curve and got a series and da-da-da-da. And then we had another friend of ours who was an entertainment lawyer who has now gone on, and he's one of the most successful managers in our business. He's one of the owners of Three Arts. Um, so we had this group, and it's like, as whoever starts to rise at whatever time, you got your bros and sisters there and you're gonna, you're gonna take care of each other. And you're gonna share information. So if you wanna be a writer, and you move out here and I check in with you and you, all <laughs> I'm hanging out with this awesome young med student and then this other person who's yep. this dope accountant and then these two people who are going to be astronauts. How cool is that? Then no, uh, it's the wrong group for you. You can have one or two of them if they're really dope friends, but make that group yep. people in the business so can you all grow together. Share information together.
1: Yeah. That let me just, really just let, let me add to that. Um, let's say you do move here. Let's take that scenario, right? Um, you know when you move here that you're going to have to sacrifice, right? You already know it. You probably live in a cool apartment or a house now. You're going to have to downsize when you get here, right? You want to live in Hollywood? Well, Hollywood's expensive. You're going to have to live in the Valley, right? Little things like that. Um, you're going to need a car if you don't have one wherever you live, right? Um, piggybacking off of what Mark's saying, when it comes to yourself getting a job, the reason why so many people get a job being a PA or an assistant or whatever is because you want a job that's in the industry, right? And the reason you want that job is because, and Mark and I know a lot of writers who are all have their survival job. That's not in the industry. They're working at the medical, you know, whatever. They're a pharmacist, whatever the fuck. And they're not meeting anybody that's gonna do what Mark said. Nobody in their clique, in their group, is gonna help them when they move up to something else. Nobody is gonna go, oh, I work for this person. Let me see that script that I just read from you. Let me send it to them. You need that network of people to do that. Because the only way to get to the next rung is for either you've met somebody or somebody you know met somebody which is what mark saying exactly right that group one of them will make it probably right and if they do and you guys are still close and they like your work and you guys all work together then more than likely they're gonna now that person's a big manager at fucking three arts guess what they can do for your career <laughs> you know what i mean because they're not going to forget you as you guys come up together you know what i mean but you have to be here and be in a place for that. Now, if you're not here, now I forgot what type of stuff you wrote again, what was that? What was the type of uh, stuff you write? I forgot. um, Animation. Animation? So
5: features? Uh, No, television Television. or streaming. Okay, okay. So I've already not worked.
3: You have an artist that you work with that Sketch of some of your characters? No. That would be somebody to start networking with immediately. So when you start sending your stuff in, you've got some drawings of
1: characters too. And a, a friend of mine, um, he was the showrunner on uh, Black Panther's Quest. He Jeffrey, Shout out to Jeffrey Thorne. He um, said that when he first started doing the, the drawings, he would, he would go on Twitter and, fo- and like follow people who were artists and be like, dude, I love your work, you know, and start a relationship with them. And eventually he'd be like, yeah, I'm working on this thing. You know, I'm looking for an artist too. And you want to find somebody who's building their career up, not somebody who's already working with, you know, Rick Remender and the guys. You want somebody who's on their way up. You know what I mean? And so if they, because... I'm really good, Maddie, <laughs> see that? Don't, don't hire him. Mark <laughs> is a good artist. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so you want to make sure that, that you, you want to get people who are on their way up. Like when, when I was just doing a bunch of indie projects, I was trying to find actors and actresses who were on the way up. Like I hired Tiffany Haddish for a pilot we did the year before she blew up. I saw it. I was like, she's going to be a superstar. You know what I mean? And, and, and it helped us get a bunch of hits a year later. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you want to grab that person who's on their way up, you know? And you don't have to be in LA to do that. It's all online, especially for to find the right artist. But Mark is right, you gotta find an artist to help you bring your thing to life. Even if you just do like a little visual, here just the characters, you know what I mean? You you need something. You'd be
3: surprised right in your own backyard, you know, near where you live, there's probably some young, you know, super talented artist and you guys meet for coffee and yep. let him or her read one of your things and say, Hey, draw me some sign. Just start that. Cause
4: for animation, you know, show that character. Yep. Definitely. Awesome. Cool. Helpful? Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome.
7: Sydney. Hi, I'm Sydney. Hello, Sydney. I'm a historical drama screenwriter, and I specialize in true stories about badass women. I've uh, known Hilliard since he came to speak at my Veterans and Writers Guild Foundation class in 2016. Thank you. Um, And my question is specific to historical dramas. What is the landscape right now for historical dramas? I know it's changed in the last five years.
1: I'm I'm Ah, deep in it right now. I don't know. I, I can talk to this. I can talk to this. I'm, I'm deep in it right now. Some of you guys know I wrote the Black Wall Street script. Um, I'm working on a show right now. We're developing a show about Emmett Till. Um, we're developing a show about Bass Reeves, the first Black U.S. Marshal. <clears throat> um, I know. And um, Miles putting his hands up like he got a good script or something. You ain't got no script. Um, <laughs> and um, so it's, it's out there. now. a lot of times your, those of you who are repped, your managers will send you out um, the, 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 it's like a, a spreadsheet of like all the different networks, what they're looking for. And almost all of them will say not looking for historical things beyond 1900s. I mean, almost all of them. But what I've also learned is every single time you turn around, there's another fucking show about something in the 1800s. <clears throat> so, what, what I've learned is having already been out there to pitch some of these projects is it's all in the pitch. It's all in, and here's here, let me, let me, let me give you this much again. So we talk about this on my show a lot. So say you get a meeting, right? Say your manager, whoever it is, your reps, or, or you just meet some great exec or a producer. You get a meeting, even if it's a Skype now, cause that's what we're doing. Say you get a Skype meeting with a big producer. You sent them the script, you have a meeting, you, you have your meeting. And most writers think, oh, my God, they want, they want to do my project. They read it. What they really are doing is, okay, I want to meet the person who wrote that script. And then you meet them, and they go, now, here are the things that we have on our roster. And then they go, here are the other things we want to do. If you're smart, you'll, you'll find the one thing that they have and figure out how to connect to it. For example, um, me and my producing partner are writing a script right now for Morgan Freeman's company, Revelations. And it's a historical project, but it's only from like the 90s, right? So they, when, they, when they told me what the project was about, I immediately went, oh, it takes place in the 90s, it's centered around this world. And I went, oh, I did tell them about growing up in the hood and this thing. So I immediately told her a story about myself in that world that she pitched and I was in tears telling her the story. You got to be open. And she looked at me and she, and I looked at her and she was in tears. She's like, nobody's coming with this take on it like that. Right. So that's how we got the job is being open, hearing the story, right. And finding your way to tell your story that matches to them or your, your, your way into the story, you know, like how you connect to that world. It's kind of like, and I know Mark, you've been through this a lot. <clears throat> when you're staffing a show, you bring the writers in and, you know, I'm not sure what the questions are you asked, but I've been on many meetings where they're like, what do you like about the show, you know? And you go, oh, I love how this character does this thing and blah, 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 it relates to me. You know, that character relates to me. It relates to my sister and my family, whatever. And so it's the same theory. Is when you go on a meeting or you get your generals or whatever, find that connection and make it personal. You know what I mean? To something. I always say go back to your childhood. If you go back to your childhood, it sounds like you have more stories. If you go back to me, I remember when I was like 15, there was this thing. You know, we would all go do this one thing and boom, and it would lead to this thing. And people, they get excited by that because you're excited. You know what I mean? So the climate of, historical projects. Actually, I loved your pitch, by the way. I got who you were as a writer immediately, Thank you. right? That was good, do you agree, Mark?
3: Absolutely. That was really You know, good. we can go probably to any point in history if the story blows somebody's socks off, right. you okay. know? I mean, um, I've been, uh, I was approached a few months ago about a movie Dealing with uh, Jonas Salk and the polio vaccine. And I thought, okay, it's a great story. And now, uh, pre pandemic, but there was just so much um, conversation about vaccines in general about, you know, yes, no, pro, con, all that. So I was very attracted to that historical story. you know, it's not my world necessarily, so that's why I certainly deferred to, to Hilliard. But uh, at the same time, gosh, a good story is a good story, right? And, and generally, the great thing about uh, historical um, pieces of art, uh, whether it's film or TV, is they're really highly castable. There's always that actor going, ah, this is my Oscar. This is, you know, there's that. ah, if I played this general from this war, Oscar. I mean, you (laughs) know, so there's always room for it. I wish I knew more and I can better advise you.
1: But uh, I have a question for you. Um, Are you writing features or is it TV? Right now, TV. Uh, One hour. I did write a feature last year, but I'm writing pilot after pilot. Okay. All right. Because I was going to say, and I I don't work for the blacklist, you know, but it is. I I have watched about three of my friends in the last six years submit to the blacklist. And all of a sudden they've signed with somebody all of a sudden, one of them went into production, you know what I mean? So, but you have to have like two different coverages you have to get at least a nine or eight or nine or something like that, you know, out of 10, Mm
7: -hmm. you know,
1: um, there's, there are some rules with that, but I mean, people ask me what would I do if I was, a newer writer or, or trying to break in, I would submit to the blacklist in a heartbeat. Thank you. You know what I mean. Of course, there's other film festivals, Austin and you know Slam Dance and you know all that. But you just got to put yourself out there and see see where you land. You know. Thanks. Cool. <clears throat> Devon. Anybody?
4: Well, hello,
6: like? hello. <laughs> I mean, you know, I try to get around. Can y'all? <laughs> um, y'all can hear me all right. Everything's yep. cool. All right. Uh, well, I'm Devon. Um, much like Hilliard, you know, I'm from the inner city of Chicago, Illinois. Um, just a little bit right? right? away. <laughs> yep, south side, one and raised, south side. Uh, grew. Glow- up in gangs, didn't do punk, um, Af- you know, punk rock or whatever, but I did do house. So I am uh, a house head. Girl. a sure.
1: house you. Come on, girl. Um, yeah, I'll house you. I <laughs> I'll you. beat
6: that bitch to the back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll beat that. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
6: so I am a house head, but I'm also um, retired military. I served in three branches, uh, Navy, Army, Air Force, in that order. Um, I did uh, 18 years, fought in four conflicts. Um, I don't have a nine year old, but I do have a 30 year old a 28-year-old and a 22-year-old and a one-year-old grandbaby. Yes. What? Yes, yes. So we talk about being old. It's an old self. Um, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's what I do. I am, I just ventured into uh writing about, I'll say maybe a year and a half ago. I came from uh production. I was uh, post and then camera, nice. camera department. And so I came into writing. Um, I did the uh, Writers Guild Foundation Writers Program for veterans. That's where I met Sydney at. Um, Kim is definitely like one of my truest tribe members. She's like the dopest person I know on this podcast or whatever this thing is right here. Um, But my question is...
1: Please. Huh? Go ahead.
6: No, my question is um, like being fairly new, I did write um, a feature in in the program. I had a meeting at HBO um, not about the feature but a friend of a friend set it up and I had a meeting with uh, Kelly Edwards and her business partner, um, pitched a feature that I wrote. They hated it because uh, they didn't want <laughs> their love story, this, that, and the other. But when they started to ask me about my background, um, they asked me about a TV pilot. So I wrote a TV pilot and submitted that to them. So Kim asked my question about how long should you take, you know, about that. Um, the, uh, Michael ad- asked my question about representation. Uh, The only other question I can come up with is because I'm new, I'm one of those ones who look for a strong mentor. You know, uh, I don't believe I'm too old to be mentored or anything uh, of that nature. And I'm always the one that like looks for, you know, someone that's going to cut it to you straight and give it to you like raw. You know, my drill sergeant and sergeant major always told me the maximum effective range of an excuse is zero meters. So I don't make any excuses other than the fact that, you know, um, I make excuses. <laughs> so my question is, like, what should a person be looking for, um, I mean, in finding a good mentor? Part two to that, everyone always talks about writing a good script. But what's the definition of a good script, especially if you're like a new, newbie writer? Go ahead, Mark.
3: Define a good script is the question?
6: <laughs> that and mentorship. Yes, sir.
3: Uh, it's a script where when the reader is done, he goes, I wish I fucking wrote that. Yep.
1: Okay. You know, the is that's the
3: really the highest praise you can get is just, uh, so, you know, Michael uh, mentioned that we've been talking and, and, and I've been helping him with the script of his, And, uh, you know, met on Twitter, reached out to me, yada, yada. And I said, sure. And here's what I liked and why I responded. Uh, Without giving too much away, it basically was about a bunch of kind of fun, goofy, uh, funny 40-something-year-olds that were former child stars in the 90s. Okay? One hit, 90s show, all that. And uh, they've had horrible lives, both psychologically, financially, all this shit. And now all the rage are reboots, reboots, reboots. That's their ticket. But their fourth and leader and star has mysteriously disappeared. And so there's kind of a mystery going along of trying to find this guy. I loved it. What did I love about it? Because I wrote... I've worked, I've worked with fricking Olsen twins, Mary Kate and Ashley. I ran one of their shows in, uh, early 2000. I did boy meets world in the nineties. It's a world that I just love and get and understand and, and watched 13 year old stars have crushes on each other. And I just watched, I knew that world. So whatever you're writing about, there is going to be a reader that's going to respond to the world you've created and respond to you the way I responded to Michael. There's Hilliard right here, upper left, may read Michael's script and go, eh, eh. subjective mm-hmm. That's okay. I did couple little cartwheels because that was a world that I fucking knew. I've been at He talked. Hillary talk, Hillyard uh, talks about uh, writing a book. I, when I was CAA asked me 10 times to write an expose on kid stars. Cause I've worked with them all for, and I wouldn't do it till now. <laughs> <It's> now. <laughs> well, I will do it soon, but I won't do anything damning to, well, the Olsen twins, I'll tell some stories. But the Boy Meets World, Girl Meets World people, I'll be very protective of. Uh, I worked with uh, Jaleel White, too, when he was all grown up. Urkel from Family Matters. Uh, I've got – and he was a producer on the show at 21. There, there's this – well, actually, Mary-Kate and Ashley were producers working with me. They were producers at 16 on my show. So – but here's the best. I, I, I'm all over the place, but this is just entertaining. It's a quick Olsen twin story. I would have notes from the network after a table read, notes from the studio, and I would give my notes to the cast. Then I had my big meeting of the day. This was the big one. (laughs) I had to go in for a note session with their stylist. And I would get yelled at by the stylist sometimes, Mark. Do you not know about the spring launch at Walmart? You only have this episode over two days. Make it five days so the girls can wear more costumes. So that was – yeah, I got stories. This is behind the scenes of kids' TV, be cray-cray. It's insane. I used to have to answer to their fucking stylist. But anyway.
1: But they were selling um, clothes.
3: Long-winded. <laughs> What's going to make it great, Devon? It doesn't matter – what makes it great as much as who thinks it's great? Yep. Don't write it to sell it. Yep. Write it because it's your story. It's your truth. It's your honesty. And then you just got to be at the right table, <laughs> the right person that thinks it's great.
1: Yeah. I, w- I was just going to say that um, you have to write for the reader. A lot of people write like, oh, this is going to be a movie. It's going to be in production. I, I still write my script for the gatekeepers, you know? I write, I write it for them. Like when people read my scripts, they're like, God, it's so visual. It's like, because when I read a script, I want it to be really visual. I want to go on that ride. I want to be able to look up and see, you know, that movie. Um, so you have to really, 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 really think about that for yourself about, you know, um, what it is you're trying to put out there and why. You know, that's why most people's first script is not a very good script. It's because, like I said earlier, they think they're writing that script about something that they know. And they usually do the most simple thing, you know. Um, And as you grow older, more advanced in your writing, you start to realize the, the craft of how to get there, you know. And those things start to stand out for yourself. Um, You had two questions. One was about... Mentorship. Oh, mentorship. Okay. So I talk about this a lot. And Kim could tell you a little bit about this too. Um, So I invite a lot of people to come over to watch my podcast or to hang out. And sometimes people will come and have high expectations, right? I have an office on the lot. I have a decent podcast that I do. And sometimes there's times when there's five months of me not working on anything that's in production. And sometimes I'm in production back to back to back to back to back, right? And so they'll come and they'll hang out for a little while. And I always tell people this, and Kim is actually really good at this. I can tell you this. What I'm looking for in somebody who will be a mentee is. And I, and I know, I believe I told you this too, Kim, and you, you can speak to this when you speak. Um, if I drop it, pick it up. What I mean is this. Don't be my slave, but be ahead of me in the things you think, because you're there to help. Like if I'm on a show and Mark is a showrunner, I'm doing everything I can as, as a writer to make it easy for him. Right? So your job should be the same. And my, this is my opinion. You know, if you want to hang around with me, this is what I need. I need somebody to help me make my life easier. If you hear me bitching about how difficult it is to put together a Zoom, do like Miles and jump in and go, I can do it. You know what I mean? Help us to make it easier. And guess what? When we're blessed to get our next show, we're going to be on. I remember Miles was really on his shit. I remember Kim was really on her shit. I'm going to bring her in. You know what I mean? I'm going to bring him in. And that's what you do. You know what I mean? You don't forget when people are there for you. So you don't get a mentor by going, hey, dude, love what you do. Would you mentor me? Instead, right. you go, hey, can I come hang out? You start to hang out, and you start to find out where you can help. You know what I mean? Where you'd be of service. And that's, how, that's just my opinion. And that's how, you know, that's how I got all the mentees that I ever got. I'd hang around them for a little while and, and get to know them. And eventually, I'd be like, oh, they might need some more coffee. I'm just going to go get it for them. I don't ask, do you need another coffee? I'll just go get it. You know what I mean? And they start to go, this person's really kind of, hey, you want to with me to this thing? I could use some help. You know what I mean? And a lot of that is on your own time and on your own dime, right? But eventually, it turns into something real. It does. It either does or it doesn't. But but at least you grow and you learn. You get to sit in a room. You get to see the meetings they have. You get something from it, too you know? So that's just my thought. Yeah.
3: And, and the pre, you know, pre WGA is a thing, man. It's glorious. It's a hashtag. It's a yeah. thing. There, you're, there's so the, the, the networking possibilities now compared to years ago, it's just a different world, man. You know, my, my, I got two boys and they're both having into sports. And one of them, Liam, he writes and stuff and he just meets everybody online. And I remember, You know, it used to drive my ex nuts. He's always online. He's always online. He's always online, you know. Stupid, you know, Fortnite and this and that. Well, he's met people that he's now getting paid to write shit for from that. You know, it's a different world we live in, man. We get to meet people beyond the mall. That's the title of a book, Beyond the Mall. Nobody likes it. That's okay. But it's it's true. There is a world beyond the mall.
4: It's cold, man. It's cold. Yeah, right? It was the mall. That's
3: where I met. We are in sports, but now it's there. So, uh, Devon, man, you're in L.A.?
6: Uh, Yes, sir. I live in Studio City.
3: You'll meet so – there's so many people I'm sure you've already met, and there's Mm. so many amazing people. And just in this room right here – I'm inspired by you all. This is fantastic. There's the girl Kiki doing her life. She's so animated. By the way, Maddie, draw Kiki. That's an animated character right there. (laughs) (laughs) She's so animated. She kills me. But this this is so inspiring. This is beautiful. This is amazing.
4: This
3: This didn't exist 10 years ago. Pretty cool.
1: Not for free.
4: Not for free. <laughs> Not for free. All right. We good, Devon? Moving on? Ooh. Shara, unmute.
7: Hey, thank you guys so much for doing this. Um, I'm Shara. I am Jewish as well. Um, I'm a writer. Passover. <laughs> Happy Passover. Good yon to you. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm a writer in New York. I was a, a playwright, and then I transitioned to do um, on-camera stuff. I have written a bunch of things that have gone to the festival circuit, and now I'm trying to just make the next jump from there. And so I'm writing uh, half-hour comedies, and then I have a feature thriller that I'm working on. Um, my question for you guys is about um, Zoom, actually. So in this new climate we're in and thinking out of the box a little bit, um, I'm going to be having some Zoom readings of my work that are in a place that they've had a lot of um, drafts and they need to be heard. And in terms of wanting to get people to read my work, thinking producers and representation and those kinds of things, um, would it be effective to say, come on, like invite people to the Zoom to hear the work or even record it, save it, put it in an unlisted link on a Vimeo and say, if you don't want to read something because you've been reading things all day, would you want to listen to it? Um, What are your thoughts on thinking outside of the box, getting your work heard? I,
3: I think a reading amongst friends is okay. I think to reach out to industry people who are themselves trying to figure out how to move their own business forward is probably not really a thing to do now. They're trying to figure out how to get back into production, how to buy content, this, that. The chances of them coming to a Zoom reading of a new writer is probably small. But the purpose of these readings are for you, okay, for you to hear your work. For you to know what needs to change. For you to know maybe this character doesn't belong in this show. Thought he or she did, but maybe they belong in another show. So there's nothing wrong with Zoom readings, but I think it's a little premature to do it for industry people. Now, that being said, things may change. There may be, you know, an agency that wants to. Hear pilots read of young writers. Maybe, who knows? It doesn't exist now, but maybe one day it will. And that would be something you could jump into. But my opinion is who are you going to invite that's going to be worthwhile, that's going to show up? Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. mean to be discouraging. I, I just believe that um, it would be difficult, but the idea is fantastic. But it's for you, as the writer, to get a better sense of you know, what works in your pilot and what you should change. Your yeah.
1: yeah. I was going to say something just a little bit similar. I totally agree. The, the reading is usually for you um, to hear so that you could take notes. You bring a couple of your friends who you trust to, I always say, put yourself on the chopping block. You know, <clears throat> it's kind of like Mark, after he does his big reading, now all the executives and everybody sit around and go, okay, page two. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they start giving you your notes or whatever you have to do. So if, if you're putting yourself in a position to have a live reading for the whole world to see, then you're allowing yourself to not be ready yet. You know what I mean? I, I would say maybe, maybe if you did the reading for yourself and then you did it again, Maybe, but and I only say maybe because we're in a climate where this is something that doesn't really happen yet, right? So so we may not Mark and I might be a little old school on the idea, just as a as a general. You know what I mean? It might be the new thing to do is is to do it. So so you might be putting your your foot in your mouth by not doing it. You know what I mean? So in essence, it's a twofer. One is you should do it for yourself, and number two, is if you decide to open it up, I wouldn't open up to big industry people. I'd open it up to maybe a couple assistants or somebody if you felt you needed to do that. You know what I mean? Like you felt like it's already been read. It's already been whatever. You feel like it's really strong, you know, maybe. But and that's only because we don't know what the climate is yet on this. Um, but I agree with Mark. This is, it's usually just something for you to hear, for you to get notes from your friends for you to start adjusting before you, because if you did this live, it should pop like crazy, and if it doesn't, you missed everybody who listened to it. You know what I mean? So it could be a risk. Um, so I don't want to make you feel bad about that, but it's just really it's up to you. But we could yeah. also be, yeah. go ahead, Mark.
3: The other I was just going to say because I've I've had a couple of friends who have done not Zoom things but have done readings, recorded them. Part of the problem problem with it sometimes is you just can't get the right people to play the roles. And whereas if an agent or a manager or a studio exec or a network exec was reading it and you wrote, you know, uh, she's Drew Barrymore at 18, whatever, right? and you have your friend who's decent but isn't Drew Barrymore at 18, throws, you know, it it, it runs the risk of taking that executive off the track. Whereas if they read it and read it with what they envision or what you instruct them to, that sometimes has a better shot than a reading with, a bunch of talented but not well known
4: actors. So it, I think it also, my, I've seen it kind of
1: work. The other thing material. The other thing I was just going to add to that was um, kind of like when you have to query yourself, you know, to get with managers and agents, you know, you have to think about like what's the thing that makes you stand out. So if you I believe you said you've have you won some awards for your plays and stuff or I missed that.
4: Are you there? Yeah.
7: Um, so I've written. Um, I had a play that had some critical acclaim in New York, and I've yeah. written um, seven shorts that so. have gone to the festival circuit. I've been in like fifty festivals in the past couple years. Have
1: any other I've, won?
7: Yeah, I've won like uh, nine awards. I've been nominated okay. a handful of other times, and I've got some mm-hmm. great. Um, I've gotten some great like pitch meetings for mm-hmm. bigger works from it, just from networks in that way. But I've sort sure. of like exhausted the networks of the people that I know.
1: Understood. Understood. I get the reason I was asking was, you know, when you're thinking about like how to even query yourself, like what's the thing that's going to make you stand out, you know, and, and we're in Hollywood where it's all about your resume, you know, the last thing you did or the big thing you did or whatever. So that's why I was going, okay, well maybe if you just pitch yourself as an award winning writer, he has a play and you know, whatever, maybe you'll get some people to go, well, who's that? You know what I mean? But if, if your IMDB doesn't show anything important, kind of like Mark said, nobody cares. You know what I mean? So, um, I would, I would at this point probably consider doing it for yourself and maybe just your groups of friends that you need who can't be there to watch, to give you any notes. And then, you know, try something else down the line or see if this becomes popular. If it becomes popular, it's a great thing, you know. But I think you'd be better off promoting it when it's when you've done your next pass from the notes you're gonna get from from this part. Because you're gonna hear it live and be like, Ooh, I should have done this. You know what I mean? You know being a playwright, you're gonna see things. Go ahead.
7: I've done it live before. And so this is not like the first reading that okay. I'm doing. Okay. thinking about it as a tool. And I'm a working actor in New York, so I know a lot of the people that are like the players. Yeah. Um, it was more mm-hmm. about like that kind of thing rather than like this is the first time I'm hearing it out loud. I definitely understand. Okay. Yeah.
3: Again, all this is so new. <laughs> How do you put, pre- is it Shara or Shara? Shara? Yeah. All this is so new. So I, you know, I don't have enough to draw on any, any way to tell you. And no matter what I would say anyway, it's not the absolute. I just know in general, uh, you know, readings are, are, are tough um, again, but for theater and these are plays that you would want to stage. So it's for TV or film TV. Yeah, it's. It's, that's tougher. It's tougher than a play. Um, it just is. You know, they're, executives would generally rather read something. Mostly because they could stop reading on page seven,
4: as <laughs> opposed to
3: slink out that's of a room
4: on that's page true. seven. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: but anyway. That's awesome. Well, I, I, I love the, amount you've written and the success you've had so that's awesome good good on you awesome good stuff
4: um jamil what's up you're still muted hang on now you're good now
8: what's up what's up so uh my name is jamil uh born and raised compton california cpt hub city um, just he's like, throwing up gang
1: signs and stuff. I see him. <laughs> those gang signs. <laughs> I see him. He was throwing <laughs> his flag up and stuff. <laughs> I gotta walk
8: out. I got
4: cash. It's crib
1: walking too. We can't see his feet, hey, but he's walking. But I grew up
8: in a blood neighborhood, so I can't do the oh, blood.
1: <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So,
8: uh, you know, growing up Compton, California, very uh, parallel uh, to Hilliard. Um, growing up as like the queer nerd. Um, But then also, uh, you know, just so I'm, you know, always a fish out of water, feeling like I'm living on the margin of the margins. But the thing that kind of kept us together and kept me together through all the drama of that experience was my family. So I'm a second year uh, screenwriting student at LMU and I write family dramas that give voice to those that are systemically voiceless. Um, And so uh, I'm at the point now as I'm transitioning from film school into the industry, where um, school and then uh, I was able to do the internship with the Television Academy Foundation um, program last summer. They're starting to continue to open up doors for us to meet people and take meetings. So my question is, what do you feel are um, key factors like the top three, your top three do's and don'ts of taking meetings um, so that you can pitch yourself in a light that showcases uh, the wealth of your experiences without going, you know, knowing when to stop almost.
1: Go ahead, Hillary. Well, um, okay. Um well, first of all, I actually I like the way you pitched yourself. That was I at least got a sense of the type of writer you are. You know, you told me where you're from, you told me what it's like growing up in the, you set up the neighborhood you're in, you set up, you know, the world, and then you set up who you are and the type of writer you are because of it. You know what I mean? <clears throat> to me, that's what's the most important part of, of selling yourself, you know what I mean? And so um, the only thing I didn't fully get 100% was exactly what type of writer you said you, you write, what Where was it again?
8: Uh, family dramas drama that focus uh-huh. on, uh, so all of my character, there's always the crux of it, of fa- like families that are rebuilding from tragedy. Um, okay. And families that live on the margins of the margins. Because I was also diagnosed, uh, in 2015, I was diagnosed with MS. So I'm also uh, living with a disability, um, which was the reason why I was in the Book of Mormon for a while, and I left the show, and just because physically it was too much, um, <coughs> which is why then I uh, applied to film school and started writing. Um, and so I really tried to shed light on the multiple narratives of people that live in the, live in the shadows. Okay. Has
3: anybody watched All American?
8: Oh yes. What's our favorite
3: (laughs) character? What's the best
4: character on that show? To me anyway, it's Coop. I'll, Love
3: Coop. I'll give you that. Yeah, I'll give you the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Love Coop. What, 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 Kiki, what? Your point. Love Coop. You know, and,
4: and.
3: that's to me what you're saying. You want to give yeah. more voice to the right, the, right, 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 characters <laughs> like that. It's great. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I think that, but, but coming in with your angle on who you are, where you're from, and the type of writing you are now tells the executive or the showrunner like Mark what characters you could write to. Okay. You know what I mean, so if you come in on Mark's show, as I was saying earlier, and he's doing boy meets world, you're able to say, for example, I really love that character. I relate to them with the type of writing that I do because of this. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then he could go, Oh, he's got a bunch more stories for that character. You know what I mean? And that's, and you could talk to more of why you hire people too. You know, that's, that's another thing. But, um Mark,
4: you know the the don'ts I mean the simple
3: don't is don't misread a room, you know <laughs> um, feel it, you know sometimes you can have the most kick ass five minute meeting where you left and you're on the phone with your friends going. Man, I fucked up. I was out. (laughs) What the fuck? Then you have another meeting that goes 45 minutes. You go, killed it, crushed it. Mm -hmm. You don't hear from them. You heard from that five-minute one where you stated so eloquently who you are, what you write, what you do. And the exec is like, got it, peace out. And then Mm -hmm. six months later, one of their pilots that was maybe about a character like Coop as the lead. They go, fuck, Jamil can write the shit out of this. Let's get that dude back in. Mm-hmm. So that five minute meeting was your money. Read the room.
1: Yeah. That's that's a really I would say don't. I mean, don't say you didn't like something.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Like don't be like, oh, I didn't really I didn't really connect to the characters or you know, I didn't don't and don't say I didn't read it. If they sent it to you, you fucking better read it or you better watch the damn pilot.
3: Everything mm-hmm. is accessible.
1: Yes. You better have – I hear it all the time from executives and from showrunner friends like, like, like Mark. I just had a couple of meetings. People actually came in saying they hadn't finished a script yet. I'm like, what? You're about to make a lot of money. Hmm. How do you not take, what do you say, a half hour, an hour to read a fucking script hmm. on a job you're going to have for six months or even more? Hmm. Plus residuals. and I mean, you, you fucking are tripping. You yeah. know what I mean? So be on your A game. Yeah. And that's why if you can figure out a way, because I've been on meetings where I didn't even like the show, mm-hmm. but I connected to one of the characters. So I, I ran with that. So that I had something positive to talk about about that thing. Cool. And if every time we kept talking, I kept going back to that character again. Mm-hmm. And how I could see where we could do this with that thing, that we could do this. Ooh, in season three, what if they did this thing? You know what I mean? Imagine we could, boo, 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 and they go, okay, this, is, this guy's on our top list. You know what I mean? Whatever it is you need to do. So just don't be negative about it. Right, Remember, right. some writer did what you did with your script. They spent months writing the script. You may not have liked it, but find the connection in it for you. You may not get the job, but at least you came in positive.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It may not be right for this one, but they might be like, like Mark said, I really like that dude. Man. Season two, when we do that thing, let's bring him in. Yeah, We okay, don't right. know.
3: I mean, this, the simplest thing, you know, breaking down how most showrunners staff a show, which is different than, you know, managers and agents and what they look <laughs> for. But for, for me, it's I got to spend 14 hours a day, five or six days a week in a room with this cat. No. <laughs> How's this gonna work? Do they get me? Do they like me? Mm-hmm. You know, we all have a fair degree of narcissism and they better get my shit. True. Because by week two, if I've cracked seven lame jokes and I look down the end of that table and Kiki hasn't laughed once, I'm gonna be tripping on that. Go, why not hire Kiki? She don't laugh at me. She doesn't get my shit. So that's how we think we're going to spend time in the bunker with this person and they better get me and make me feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Cause I still need my, you know, ego filled for lack of
4: anything it else. True. So it's all it's about
3: that group together. And that's, that's how, you know, we really do it. It's like everybody, everybody brings something different to the room. Mm -hmm. But as Hilliard said a long time ago when we first started, that at the end of the day, it is a giant therapy session and we start spilling and opening up about our personal shit very quickly. And there have been writers that didn't readily participate in that kind of stuff. And you're like Mm -hmm. sitting there going... You know, fuck, I just admitted that my wife hasn't slept with me in six months and you won't even fucking right. tell me the last time you kissed a boy? Right. I know. It is a, and by the way, rooms have changed. It's not like that anymore anyway. <laughs> but, right. but the point is, it's we open up. That's what a but room is. But the topic is.
1: can get to that, though. The topic can get to that. Yeah. And it, you just need to be in a space for yourself where you're confident enough to have a conversation if the door opens. If the yeah. showrunner goes on that way, trying to figure out something for the story. You mm-hmm. want to have a story about something to help that character, right. you know what I mean? That's, that's the type of open I like to be in a room. Yeah. I want to be completely like, whatever the fuck you need, I got you. If I, if I got to tell you the craziest shit where I was caught peeing on myself in front of everybody, I'm gonna fucking <laughs> tell you. Yeah. You know what and, I mean? and by
3: the way, to that, that I, I in meetings, mm-hmm. staffing meetings, I try and, and, and get some personal stuff out of the people yeah. sitting there. And yeah. I know how to do it. And if I don't do it and do it fast and do it well, eh, probably not going well the meeting. But yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: I'm an open book. I mean, <laughs> yeah. as a person, Hilliard knows this. I am an open book. Like right. there is nothing that somebody can ask me where I'm like, hey, dude, too much. Right. Right. I just yeah. this is who I am. And I'm really comfortable took me a long time you know a lot of therapy Mm
4: -hmm. chapter
3: two (laughs) this stage of my life post post kristen pk post kristen this is like living my best life and you know sometimes people are like whoa mark you know tmi i'm like that's what you signed (laughs) up for (laughs) so you know yeah the dues are just make the people you meet want to spend a whole lot of time with you
4: yeah
8: Thank you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I'm going to say what I
2: feel, and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the rainbow.